Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Amy G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today's date is Friday, February 15th, and today we are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous in Bill's story. We are on page 8 on the fourth paragraph. Today's readers are, and thank you for your service, Jen A., Barbara E., Lauren N., Deanne F., Christina L., the reference number for yesterday, the Thursday, February 14th, the 7 a.m. meeting, is 12,547. That's 12547. And for the 10 a.m. meeting, February 14th, 12,548. 12548. The OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask for DNF to read the 12 steps. Go ahead, Deanne. Good morning. This is Deanne from Long Island. Step one. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Step 10, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, We tried to carry this message to other compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me be of service. Thank you, Deanne. I will now ask for Christina L. to read the 12 traditions. Go ahead, Christina. Good morning. This is Christina L., and here are the 12 traditions. 
One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service center should, may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. In 12, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks for letting me do service. Have a great day. Thanks, Christina. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and the literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. If you go over, you'll hear me say time. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only, please. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book. We are on page eight, the fourth paragraph, and I'm going to ask for Jen A. to get us started. Go ahead, Jen. Good morning, Amy. Thank you. Jen A. recovered in Colorado. My musing was interrupted by the telephone. The cheery voice of an old school friend asked if he might come over. He was sober. It was years since I could remember his coming to New York in that condition. I was amazed. Rumor had it that he had been committed for alcoholic insanity. I wondered how he had escaped. Of course, he would have dinner. Then I could drink openly with him. Unmindful of his welfare, I thought of only recapturing the spirit of other days. There was that time we had chartered an airplane to complete a jag. His coming was an oasis in this dreary desert of futility. The very thing, an oasis. Drinkers are like that. So, um... Ebby Thatcher, right? This was uh, the old school friend. And, um, you know, 
I'm reminded here that um, on the next page it says he was sober. Um, I guess I have to know who Ebby is. Um, and Ebby was regarded as a hopeless case. And, and so was Bill, right? So um, Ebby was to be put away, right? Um, and, you know, his intention was to come over. Uh, Bill, Bill thought his intention was to come over and, you know, hoof it up, pull out the liquor, drink it up, and, and talk about the good old days and reminisce. Um, but that wasn't um, the situation. And why was it such a big deal that Ebby um, was sober? Um, you know, it's because he came from this prominent family, right? Um, his family owned a railroad wheel manufacturing business. Um, two of his brothers would become mayors in Albany, New York. They had money. He had servants. Um, you know, he could have lived the life, but yet he was the black sheep of the family. And um, so that's all Bill knew um, his friend for. Um, and so here we're going to find out um, that, uh, you know, more is revealed. Who is this Ebby guy? He's coming over sober for the first time. And, um, you know, I'll never forget, um, you know, we talk in this program about who your Ebby is. And um, my Ebby was an alcoholic addict um, who was uh, drunk all of his life from the time high school um, till just a few years ago. And um, he posted an, uh, a post on Facebook. And I thought, well, that's really nice. I'm so glad that you're free from this alcohol and drug addiction. I wish there was help for a girl like me. And uh, he replied back to me on the Facebook post, there is, it's called OA. And at that time, uh, my experience was like, I don't know what OA is. And he said, Google it. So being the Google girl that I am, I hopped on the internet and I Googled OA, Overeaters Anonymous. I said, what's that? And he says, it's a 12-step program for people um, with food issues. And I was like, oh, okay. He said, go to a meeting. So of course, I followed directions and I went to a meeting that Thursday. And uh, those people in those rooms said, keep coming back, try a few meetings, and I did. And, um, you know, I'm really thankful for that man um, who showed up sober in my life after years of being an alcoholic addict and, and gutter, gutter drunk. Um, I look at him today, and, um, you know, he has five sober houses here in Colorado. Um, you know, he's making a difference, and he's just sharing his experience, strength, and hope right. with others. And um, so, um, yeah, with that, I'll pass. Great, Lauren. Thank you so much. So now we are going to open up for sharing. Uh, just a friendly reminder, if you haven't shared, uh, if you've shared in a couple of days, to please give courtesy to those who have not. So I will go ahead and take some names. Madam G. Madam. Barbara. Barbara Larry. Diane Oh. Okay, so I've got Harlan G, Matt M, Larry K, Barbara E, Vasa O. Who did I miss? Diane B. Somebody B. Who was that? Diane. Diane. Oh, Diane B. Okay, I'll take one more. All right, well, we'll leave it at that. All right, Harlan G followed by Matt M. Go for it, Harlan. Thank you, Amy. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is the most pivotal paragraph ever written in the English language. In this paragraph, there are many, many things happening that are going to change the course of human existence. The first thing that's going to happen, unbeknownst to Bill Wilson, 
is a man by the name of Roland Hazard is going to seek out in search of relief from his acute alcoholism. He is going to seek out relief and he is going to contact, because money is no object to the hazards, he's going to seek out the services of Sigmund Freud, the premier psychiatrist in the world at that time, and Freud was not taking on any new patients. He is going to seek out the number two man, Adler, and Adler is not taking on any new patients. And he is going to ask Adler, who's the number three man, and Adler is going to point him to Switzerland. And in Switzerland, Roland Hazard is going to come under the care of Dr. Jung, Dr. Carl Jung. Is it odd or is it God that he is going to come under the care of Dr. Jung, who after one year of psychoanalyzing Roland, and he releases Roland. Roland goes to Paris to take the ship home back to the States, sober, meets two friends of his parents, and his parents' friends celebrate his newfound sobriety with a bottle of champagne, and Roland is unable to get up from under the table. He is going to return to Dr. Jung, and the story is related here. Uh, in the big book, he is going to relate to Dr. Jung and say, what's going on? And Jung is going to say, I have misdiagnosed you. You are an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. And there is nothing I can do. Now, Freud and Adler believe that all solution lie within the mind. Jung told Roland that here and there, there were people that could experience spiritual experiences that would alter their beliefs, attitudes, and behaviors. In search of this, Roland, in 1933, is going to go into the Oxford group, which is also in its infancy, people unconcerned with alcoholism, practicing first century Christianity to, their abil to the best of their ability. He's going to meet Seber Graves, Jr., Shep Cornell and Sam Shoemaker, pivotal people. I don't. I did a podcast on Bill's story. I go into much detail in this in the podcast. I don't have all. I have is three minutes. He's going to meet Seber uh, Graves Jr. Seber Graves Jr. is from East Dorset, Vermont. So is Bill Wilson. Ebby Thatcher has a very prominent family, as Jen just told us, and they have a home in Manchester, Vermont. But uh, Ebby is in trouble and gets arrested a couple of times in the summer of 34, and he's about to be remanded to Brattleboro Insane Asylum in Vermont. Seber Graves Jr. and Roland go to East Dorset, Vermont on a vacation, find out about Ebby, who they knew, and they go to the judge, Seber Graves Sr., is it odd or is it God? And in September of 1934, Ebby is going to go into the Oxford group, and he's going to remain sober from September to October, one month. From October to November is two months, and they tell Ebby, you must now go give testimony. And he says, what's that? Go tell people what God did for you. And he says, I don't want to go give testimony. That's embarrassing. And they say, well, you could go back to Brattleboro Insane Asylum. And Ebby says, you know, I think I'll go give some testimony. And he thinks and he thinks and he thinks and he thinks like Winnie the Pooh. Think, 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 think. Who could he give testimony to where he won't embarrass himself? And in late November, he is standing on the stoop at 182 Clinton Street about to go into Bill Wilson's apartment to give testimony, and he is sober. Bill Wilson, 
Bill Wilson knows Ebby to be a drunk, so the message had depth and weight. Bill is now going to have the solution to the problem that Silkworth gave him, and the rest is history. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank, thank you so much, Harlan. Matt M., it's your turn. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt M., compulsive overeater. Um, I just want to share, like, I have my own Ebby back in 2007 when I was working at my job that is now defunct. And uh, and she was amazing. She was. I was working with her on the design team. I was working as a salesman. And um, she just talked to me about my food one day. I was basically had my own lunch, and then everybody else was ordering their own food, and I was I ordered twice as much. And I was thinking to myself, I wanted to order more, you know, wait to get my next drunk. And she just talked to me about OA. Of course, I didn't want to hear it at the time. I got instantly defensive and instantly angry. But, you know, her message did have definite weight because she was losing weight and she looked great. And um, I asked her again, and she told me to go to OA, go to a meeting. And I finally did six months later. You know, I, I don't do anything. So I, I I really take my time in those kind of things, you know. Uh, you do it right away. Anyway, I'm just grateful that she did. I haven't seen her since. I lost I lost that job due to the disease, and um, and uh, she moved away. But uh, I'll never forget that person who saved my life because I started going to OA meetings that same year, and uh, uh, I don't think I'd be here if I didn't come, if I didn't find a way. I'd probably be dead from from the hospital visits. I was in the hospital so many times over the years. Um, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Larry Kay, you are up. Please go ahead. Hey, me. Good morning. Good morning. Um, thank you for your service. So, um, yeah, we learned about about Ebby Thatcher coming through. You know, I, I just look at the deeper implications of this, try to, you know, view it. I read this, and I get different things from at different times. You know, Bill was still at a place, it seems, where he was resisting his suffering and, you know, when we do this, we, we defend ourselves from feeling its full impact. I mean, he was getting there, but it was through resisting the suffering that he was defending himself. And he was actually depriving himself from its truth at this point, although he's, the disease is starting to beat him down. And like Bill, the disease would have to pummel me so thoroughly that I would even be open to a message from someone like an Abby, right? That I had no choice but to wave the white flag of surrender. And that's the place we need to be before any message of hope is going to have even a, a chance to get in and move us to action. And because I'm human, you know, suffering for me, I don't know about you, but it's an undeniable aspect of life. And I had to accept that I am human, I think I'm human, um, as a result of my suffering, not in spite of it. And I can testify how difficult it was for me to acknowledge my distress. Bill had to be there too and actually admit my vulnerability because after all, it was much easier for me to fall into whatever chronic story I had been telling myself for years than it was to stay with the experience. So there, for me, there was, a, there was a sort of rush to normal, if you will, maybe Bill was feeling that, that closed me off, not only to the depth of my own suffering, there was that, but also as a consequence to the suffering of those around me, I couldn't see it. 
And so I'm explaining, you know, how Bill, you know, perhaps, or I'm examining how Bill is, is explaining things to himself here, as he will. And so often, you know, within the privacy of our, our inner world, we all have an inner world here. And we, we take, you know, the diff, we take a difficult thing and make it worse. And, and I did. And I had kind of a, you know, subliminal below the surface hate speech, if you will. And it, that hate speech coded my experience and gave me an added layer of meaning to things that were already difficult to cope with. And I had sort of this inner critic that could be such a powerful force, right? And so the program of action, what I take from this this morning, wrapping up here, Amy, is the program of action teaches me that the healthiest way for me to deal with the spiritual malady is to lean in, lean into it through the steps rather than keep it at bay. And then I, I began to be open. These paragraphs show me that this guy was pummeled by the disease and he begins to lean into his uncertainties. He's open. The window is cracking just a little bit. There's a tiny opening to hear a message, maybe for God to come through. And that's where recovery begins. It begins with those little openings. So with that, I pass. Thanks, Amy. Thank you, Larry. Barbara E., it's your turn. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Well, at this point in this important paragraph and story, Bill is not yet the altruistic, unselfish, other-centered man he was to evolve into. So unmindful unmindful of the fact that Ebby was newly sober, Bill wanted his old drinking buddy back so they could drink and relive the good old days. The theory of cognitive dissidence is that people subconsciously reinterpret their motives and memories to make them feel better about themselves and their actions, and soon they start to believe that these actions and memories are true. I think that's what must have been going on with Bill. I know it was going on with me. Starting way back in elementary school, I enticed a fourth grade friend who, had, who got no allowance to go out for ice cream and toasted cheese bread at Shraff's by offering to pay for her. My mind told me I was just being kind. And as a young mom sitting in my best friend's family room while our four kids were napping, I was encouraging her to join me to gorge on ice cream smothered in caramel sauce followed by salty potato chips that I had brought in when I knew she'd begun going to a pay-and-way program and had been enthusiastic about it. Leaving her home, drunk on food, I fell asleep at the wheel with my two kids in the back in their car seats. It's a wonder I didn't kill somebody. I unmindfully thought I was unmindful of my family and encouraged them to become my eating buddies by serving pasta and potatoes and rice at dinner, rarely serving a veggie, because I didn't want them. Pop-tarts, waffles, smothered in syrup and butter, or sugary cereals washed down with chocolate milk were standard breakfasts, and between meal snacks were never fruit. My selfish, self-centered eating encouraged my kids to continue eating this way into adulthood. My biggest harms and regrets and amends was for the ones I made to them. Not everyone has to hit rock bottom, but like Bill, I did. 
before I truly believed that I had to be willing to try something different. For me, it's sort of like riding a bike for the first time. The first steps became my training wheels, and slowly my attitudes and actions began to change. Thank God for the training wheels and the supporting hand of OA. It took me 50 years of suffering to reach OA. I had to go through what I had to go through, and it ain't pretty, but getting to OA saved my life. If you're out there and you picked up food or you're beginning, this is, at least for this suffering person, the answer. Thank you, OA, and thank you, everyone on this meeting today. Have a blessed weekend. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. Vasa O, please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Amy, for your service. And Vasa, grateful recover compulsive Vitacon from Port Charlotte, Florida. This uh, paragraph reminds me of my Abby that uh, introduced me to my first OA meeting in 1986. She gave me hope, and I was just... I was really so excited to hear about the solution. I get very excited, you know, sharing about this part because this was the beginning of my new life with, uh, you know, with my, the 12-step program, the meeting, my higher power. I just was so ready and I was just so willing to hear the message. We had been friends for quite a few years and by looking at her and looking at myself, we both, struggled with the food addiction for quite a few years. Well, you know, uh, I had been trying to get in touch with her for the last probably so many months, and she wasn't answering my calls. And I would call her husband, you know, and say, you know, I'm getting annoyed. Where's Diane, you know? And he said, oh, she's going to a meeting or whatever. And eventually she did show up in my house, at my house and through the back door. It was early in the morning. And she looked wonderful, and I loved her shiny eyes, and she had lost so much weight. And to find out, you know, I asked her, come on, sit down, you know, and uh, to find out she had been in our way for two years, but I did not know about it. And later on, I found out she had been in AA for two years. No, she had been in AA for two years, and she had been in our way, maybe newly abstinent. And uh, she told me about the program. And she says, this is the only thing that have worked for her. And she said, you got nothing to lose. Just try it. If you don't like the first meeting, to go to another meeting. And uh, I was sold. I was just so ready and willing, you know, because uh, the food was just getting so progressive. And uh, I could not even put one day together any longer, you know, putting the food on. And uh, she took me to my first meeting. After about a week, she, she introduced me, like she 12-stepped me a little bit about the 12 steps, and she took me to my first meeting. And I said, that, yeah, that's me. I could identify, and every time, you know, I just felt at home. And I was just so ready and willing to do whatever she told me to do. Because, uh, that's my time. Time. And I was yep. ready, and I, I, I've been doing this for since 1986, and this is the only thing that's worked for me. Thank you very much for letting me 
share, and we're supposed to pass it on. Pat, that's Thanks. what she said. Bye-bye. Thank, Thank you, you, Rasha. Diane B., it's your turn. Please go ahead. Good morning. This is Diane B. from New York. Um, so the thing that jumps out at me today, the one word that jumps out at me today is the word escaped. For so long, for so long, I felt um, that I was enslaved to the food. No matter what I did, I always had to go back. I couldn't do anything during the day without thinking about it. I had to not only plan it, but then even my spontaneous moments had to do with food. Everything about me was about food. Um, and so in the sentence where it says, I wondered how he had escaped, I'm thinking to myself, and maybe Bill was also, so is he talking about Ebby escaping from the asylum where he had been committed or the hospital, or is he talking about how had he escaped from the alcohol? How had he gotten out from under the, his master alcohol? And that's what I think about when I read this because... I had never been hospitalized um, for my food addiction, although my body certainly showed that I had a food addiction, um, and I didn't see any way out. I had no idea that this was a disease. I didn't know anything until someone introduced me to the program. So that's what really sticks with me is how had he escaped, and that's what this book is going to teach us. It's teaching me how I can escape from this addiction, how can I live my life in a um, happy, joyous, and free state. How can I live my life without having food around all the time, without going to sleep thinking about food, waking up thinking about food? Um, for me, it was just never-ending. And so with that, I pass. Thank you, Diane B. Okay, we're going to take some more people. Just a friendly reminder, we're on page 8, the fourth paragraph, just sharing on that one paragraph. And if you haven't shared, if you've shared in a couple of days, then please give way to those who have not. And I'm going to take some names. Penny E. Sally A. All I got was Penny C. Please try again. Nicole C. Sally A. Lane C. Sally A. Was that Leah M? Lane C. Elaine C. Yeah, uh, just Lane, no E, L-A-N-E. Okay. Okay, Penny E. I got a Penny C, or is it Penny E? Penny E. Okay, not Penny C. I thought I heard Penny C in there. Okay, Cheryl got it. A. All right, Cheryl, okay, we'll see if we can get to you, Cheryl. I've got okay. Nicole C, Sally A. Uh, Lane C, Penny E, and Cheryl A. Okay, Nicole C, please go ahead, followed by Sally A. Good morning, this is Nicole C in Morgan Hill, California. Thank you for letting me share. Um, this paragraph just, wow, it's just a big wow for me. This is how I came into OA, this exact story here. There was a gal who was my eating buddy. <laughs> she and I would go to these various events um, together, 
and it was never about the event. It was always about the restaurant. And one day I started to notice that the weight had been just sort of vanishing off of her. And so I started to pay attention and started to ask her about like, oh, what are you what are you doing? And she she basically told me like, oh, I don't eat this and I don't eat that and and she was just very general about it. And then um you know, she had gone from probably a size 14, 16 to a size zero or two over some time. And one day I was in conversation with her and said, gosh, I, I sure wish I could do what you do. I just, it just sounds like a lot of work, you know, with the way she described her regimented eating and this and that. And she said, no, no, I think you could do this. And she talked about Overeaters Anonymous and uh, she didn't force it down my throat at all. She just mentioned that it was Overeaters Anonymous and I looked at her and thought, I, I just can't imagine how I could possibly fit that into my life with all that's going on in my life. And she said, well, if you ever just want to chat, give me a call. And I said, okay. And for the next few days, that that stuck in my mind, and I got the courage to call her. I didn't know what I was going to say. I just I said, hey, I know you said that if if I wanted to chat, that I could call you. And she started to tell me what she did in Overeaters Anonymous, and she was, you know, my Ebby. I saw this glow about her. She had a sparkle in her eye. She looked happy and free. It wasn't just about the weight. It was she was present. You know, I saw a spirit about her that I didn't see before. And so that began my journey in a way. And unfortunately, she has um, picked up again. And I've, I've watched over time as she has put the weight back on. But far before the weight started to come back on, the light died in her eyes. Um, so I really hope that she gets this thing again. But for her Thank you for her reaching out to me. I will forever be grateful. Thank you for letting me share. I pass. Thank you so much, Nicole. Sally A., your turn. Please go ahead. Good morning, everyone. My name is Sally A. from New Jersey. Thank you so much for your service and everyone shares. I love this part of the big book because this has happened to everyone, I think, um, when they share their story, you know, when we go to speaker meetings, everyone shares about, you know, how they came to program. So I think everyone's had an Ebby of some sort. Um, my story is, is um, my brother was a drug addict or is a drug addict. And um, for many years, he knew about my eating, but never said anything until he was in recovery. And um, I remember driving him to get a hepatitis treatment from Chinatown in New York City. And uh, before I picked him up, I stopped by a local fast food restaurant, of course, and had a million cheeseburgers in the bag. Of course, I ate about five or six of them before I picked him up, pretending I didn't have any, and said to him, oh, look, you know, I, I picked this up lunch before we go. And he just, like, looked at me smiled, looked at the bag, and he said to me in the most loving eyes he had ever had towards me and said, 
you know, Sally, um, you eat cheeseburgers the way I do heroin. And, um, and if this was a bag of heroin, would you want me to have it? And I looked at him and said, no. And he was like, well, this is your heroin and I don't want you to have it. And he grabbed the bag of fast food and there was a homeless uh, lady sitting by the fast food place not too far away. And he, he walked over and he gave it to her and he came back to the car and he said, you know, she, she needs it. You don't. And I was so mad at him. I wanted to kill him, but you know, on our way over, you know, driving to New York, he, 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 you know, he gave me his message of recovery and hope and how I was also an addict and, to make a long story short, you know, we drove back to New Jersey and I, I ended up going to my first OA meeting that night and I have never left since then. So, so grateful for him. Um, he has relapsed since then. I share about him quite often, but, you know, I, he still gave me his message, you know, and I, I have this fantasy of returning the, the message back to him, hopefully being his Ebby and him seeing me in recovery would be a dream come true. So the message gets carried on no matter what. Um, thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Sally. Okay, Lane C., did I get that right? Your turn. So this is uh, Lane C., gratefully recovered in uh, Rochester, New York. Um, I love this story, and I love this story because I think um, – it speaks to me oftentimes about ways for me to carry the message and ways for us to carry the message. Um, I was listening to the meeting yesterday and just really touched and moved by, you know, somebody relaying, like we had, you know, hundreds of people on this phone call at a time and those hundreds of people can carry the message to other hundreds of people. And, and, you know, and I just, I was just thinking about this really amazing and huge network of people whose lives carry this message um, to those of us who still are suffering. Um, and so um, it, also, it, it too reminds me of, of, of my story of um, a friend who reached out to me and told me that, about this program and told me about this line. Um, I, was, I felt really fortunate that she um, brought me to a vision for you from the start um, and really like could testify with her life. I mean, I was also, you know, uh, you know, I was also in this place of, of course, he would have dinner and then I would drink openly with him, unmindful of his welfare. I thought of only recapturing the spirit of other days. When I sat down with this woman to talk about Overeaters Anonymous, we went out to a restaurant and I was like ordering a ton of food. And she went and talked to the waiter as the waiter was coming around to make sure that this food was going to be sort of within the the bounds of, of her recovery and that she wouldn't be eating any alcoholic foods. And also like... Um, I remember like partway through the meal, I can remember this meal so well, because there was so much information, so many stories being told across the table. But I remember partway through the meal, she like put her food to the side, and just like kept chatting with me. And I was just like, what the heck does this woman have? Like, what is going on? You know, that this is the case for her, because I was like, you know, eating a, a ton of like, I'd already made my way through an appetizer and was and kept going. Um, and um, just with her life and her story and her message, she was able to, to carry the message to me. And it, it makes me think sometimes about ways that I've um, sponsored folks in this program, ways that like it's not about chasing people. It's literally just about sharing our stories and sharing our experiences and living this message with other people. That's how we carry this message. 
Um, it's not about like, you know, shoving recovery down someone else's throat. It's about really saying like, here's what I've got. Here's what this program has. Here's what it's done in my life. And you can see what it's done in my life. Um, and it was just such an amazing message from her. I'm forever grateful to, to her uh, for bringing me here and, um, and forever grateful to all of you who share on the line and, and share your lives every single day. So with that, I'll pass. Perfect timing. Thank you. Lane C. Penny E., your time. Thank you. Go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. This is Penny E. from South Jersey, recovered. Very grateful to be here today. The line that jumped out at me was, and then I could drink openly with him. And this just brought back such horror of times when I would not want anyone to see me eating. Nobody. I mean, I would be driving in a car, stuffing my mouth, but if I got to a red light, I would put the food down, you know, so the stranger next to me wouldn't see that I was eating. I mean, I was 238 pounds, you know, and uh, I just was so ashamed when I went into the, we had um, Wawa's here, 7-Elevens then, and I would always just buy like three things because I was so afraid that they were going to think that I was going to binge on on six things, you know, just so scared of people. We had Atlantic City here where there was all kinds of food on the boardwalk and everybody would would walk around eating everybody i mean that was what you did but not me i mean i would buy all the stuff and then take it back to the hotel and stuff it in my face so nobody could see me somehow i thought if nobody could see me eating i would be able to get thin so anyway it it was a horrible horrible hellish way of life and um this paragraph this book has changed my life, and I am eternally grateful. Love you all. Have a God-filled day. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Penny E. Cheryl A., it's your turn. Please go ahead. Star one on mute, Cheryl. Amy, can you hear me now? I can. Thank you. Okay, great. That came up quick. Um, hi, this is Cheryl, a, a recovered compulsive overeater in Brooklyn, Massachusetts. I'm so filled with gratitude this morning. Um, my Abby wasn't a friend of mine, um, but when in 19, almost to the day, uh, 31 years ago in 1988, I uh, went to an assembly as an 18-year-old in high school at my public high school in Baltimore, Maryland, and uh, there's a woman there named Caroline Adams. Um, she uses her last name. And she did this assembly uh, where she shared with our, the entire, I think it was our entire high school, um, the experience of recovering from her eating disorder. And she actually didn't share, uh, she didn't specifically make reference to Overeaters Anonymous in her share. Um, she just made reference uh, to this group. That um, I was uh, on my school newspaper and had to read her book, which is called My Name is Caroline, and do a review of her book. And um, uh, when I read her book, of course, I was in tears and wasn't just uh, writing an article for the paper um, reviewing it, but I was relating to it and deeply relating to it. And then when I interviewed her, I was in tears within moments, and she got me to my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting uh, in February of 1988. And a year later, when I went to college and fell apart in Chicago, um, I called her and she got me to an eating disorder 
12-step um, based treatment center in Rock Hill, uh, North Carolina, and then my journey went on from there. Um, I, you know, when the depth and weight that we share with each other makes the difference. It doesn't come from my mom who said to just eat in moderation or my dad who struggled with the same thing that I did and didn't give me a very good example of what it meant to, to recover and even though he wanted to and tried. It comes from the experience we each share. And this woman changed the course of my life. Um, something really, I, I knew one day that I, uh, if I could give that back to, to high school kids, um, if I were ever in a position to do so, that I would want to do that. And it's come. Um, somehow uh, the, the head of our, my kid's school um, got wind of my story and has asked me to come and speak to the high school girls and the middle school girls. Um, to share my experience of, of my journey and my recovery. And I just broke down in tears. Just, the, it's such an ineffable opportunity to be of service. And um, I'm so deeply grateful to the woman 31 years ago who changed the whole course of my entire life. Um, and to I'd be able to... Thank you. To be able to to do God's work and potentially um, share that with with other kids is a gift that I can't I can't quite put into words. Thank you. Um, I love all of you so much, and I'm so grateful so grateful to this program, to our founders, and to this process. Have a great day. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Okay, so we have time for a few more. Who else would like to share on what was read, page eight, that last paragraph, fourth paragraph? Please go ahead. Jason K. Aaron D. Bonnie D. Jason K. Who was after Jason K? Was it Penny? Bonnie D. B. Carly B. Bonnie B. Shawnee. Shawnee B. Okay. Another Aaron person? D. I'm sorry, who? Karen D. Karen. Karen. Karen D. Yes, got it. Karen. Uh, maybe one more. See how we go. Does someone else? Kathy G. Kathy G. Okay, great. Go ahead, Jason K. Go ahead. Followed by Barely D. Good morning. This is Jason Kay from outside of Philadelphia, recovered uh, compulsive eater and bulimic. And this uh, this story strikes me in terms of what Bill saw in Ebby. You know, he appeared fresh-skinned and glowing. Uh, what happened? You know, Bill wondered. And it, you know, it's funny. Bill's drinking, and he, and he still sees. You know, he still sees something. Something has changed. And and this reminds me of my own experience coming to the Vision Few conference. Uh, in Newark a couple of years ago, 2017, and I had been in the food, and I was thinking, you know, uh, that's going to get me abstinent. I'm going to get inspired. I'm going to, you know, get with these people. And I came in there, and I saw, I saw something, and, and seeing something, and hearing something in people's words and voices and actions. Uh, it, for me, was so so powerful, and, and I was I was detoxing. You know, it's just just in the food, and you know, hearing Patrick talk on Friday night and hearing Harlan talk on 
on Sunday, I remember these moments and talking with Craig. I, I saw something in, in, uh, in his eyes. I saw something in people's eyes, and I heard something in their voices, and uh, it was so powerful. And what that told me, uh, I came away from that weekend absolutely convinced. Uh, deep down in my gut that recovery was possible. And uh, I went home Sunday night, and I hadn't made up my mind to do anything different. I thought I was going to get some abstinence based on, uh, you know, osmosis or based on inspiration, based on these this human power, you know, seeing these people. And I ate compulsively for three, four, four days. I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. And I think Thursday of that week, I was absolutely done. And I knew where to go. I had a, I had been set up with a sponsor, and uh, that was the beginning of the end for me. I, I, I became willing to go to any lengths. And um, so I'm just inter- eternally grateful for what happened to me at that conference and seeing some of you uh, visionaries in person um, and just seeing a twinkle in people's eyes and hearing a deep, deep inspiration in people's voices, and, and, and that's what inspires me to carry the message to that person. Because people are, when we're suffering, when we're sick, you know, we can see somebody's different, something's happened, something's changed. I ran into somebody locally, you know, he'd gained 30 pounds, he'd struggling, you know, struggling, you know, and he asked me, what happened? What happened? And I said, vision for you. I, call, I told him, I said, you, you want to work this out of the big book, work the steps quickly out of the big book. Um, so recovery is possible. So I'll, uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you all for being here today. Thank you, Jason. Um, I'm not sure we're going to get to you, Kathy G. I apologize. But let's go with uh, Barley B and Aaron D. Go ahead. I'm not sure I'm getting that first name correctly. Barley B. Do you mean Shawnee? Shawnee. Ah, there we go. Yes, Johnny. <laughs> I couldn't hear you very well earlier. Please go ahead. Thank you for um, having me on the line, Shawnee B. Um, gratefully recovered for today. Thank you, God. Um, so I was just listening to so many different people's stories of, you know, where they, you know, who brought them to see this light and this serenity. And for me, it was just extremely different. I had never met anyone in my entire life that was in this program. And I didn't even like know that there was even like a concept. And I always thought addicts were like, you know, like just spooky people. And I actually came into this program literally just in agony. I had a doctor that was like, you need this. And, you know, when people like use this euphemism of like kicking and screaming, like coming in the doors like that, I wasn't kicking and screaming, but I was literally just to my knees. I just had no, I thought my life was over. Like I have to be part of this now. And it wasn't have to, but he was encouraging me with so much, you know, love that this was my only hope. And now a year and something later, I can finally see this, this light, this hope, um, and I just kept resisting and resisting. I just, this is like a different world for me. And I'm, I'm starting to feel like that I am home. You know, when people say like, oh, welcome home, I was just like, what does that even mean? But I am home because ultimately, as human beings, we 
yearn for spirituality. We yearn for our higher power. We yearn for this connection. And all along, the desperation was this connection. And of course, definitely the fellowship to, you know, to guide us and to, to continue this, this camaraderie of this lifestyle. But for me, I'm just so grateful to my higher power, even though I feel like the journey was so horrific. Like, it wasn't like I just met some nice person and I was like, oh, this looks so pretty. It was, it was horrible. It was like the last thing I would ever want to engage in. But it's funny to me that I was so, so um, <clears throat> opposed to just coming home to my higher power, truly. Um, and I'm forever grateful because I don't really ever feel alone. Now, I just always feel like I have this this spirit behind me that really carries me through truly everything. So thank you for allowing me to share, and have a blessed day, everyone. I pass. Thank you, Shawnee B. Okay, Erin D., you're up. Erin? Hi, can you hear me? Ah, yes, I can hear you now. Please go ahead. Thank you. Hi, uh, Aaron E. from New York. Yeah, um, what jumped out at me from the paragraph was Bill still has the disease of more. He still, he still has that peculiar twist of the addict where pretty much any event that comes into his life is an excuse to drink. And he hears that there's a, a friend coming, a friend that he knows has been in the hospital, a friend that he knows has... Uh, been through hard times and all he's thinking is ah this guy's going to come over and I'm going to have a chance to drink more and we've been watching him in the past couple of paragraphs and you know I think the last one he was trying to figure out we've seen this man drag his mattress to a ground floor for fear he was going to jump out a window and we've also seen him then wonder if he could sneak a bottle of uh, next to his mat you know bed so that he could continuously drink through the night even if he wasn't even awake um and that was me that was me and my disease, this, this constant need. Every single thought by the end of my binging career was, but how is this going to let me eat? How is this going to get me more? And this is a great example of how this disease can isolate us, where we have opportunities for connection. We have opportunities to, to make real relationships and really connect with people have true friends and, and honest, genuine interactions, except it's getting filtered through this need to feed the addiction. And I'm grateful that, in, you know, even when I first came to OA, you know, I, I was vaguely aware that something was horribly wrong with my life. And I went through that period of, like I had with many diets of, okay, so what do I have to do so that I can feel okay, but keep getting more? And it was through the big book and through my fellows that I learned that it was that, that need for more of this thing that was hurting me was what was hurting me. And I had to learn about the allergy of the body that made me want that thing, no matter what happened, the second it entered my bloodstream, the second this substance got inside of my body, I was going to compulsively seek more of it and how being in that state for most of my life had given me this obsessive mind, which had also distanced me from my fellows and from, God from the entire world so I'm just grateful for the reminder of what, what this to me is just a great example of how what it means to be really deep in the addiction and deep in the disease and and a, a really keen example of someone has reached Time. out to him 
and and all he can think is this is going to be a great way for me to keep getting my substance. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Aaron, and thank you to everyone who shared for an awesome meeting. Please join us for another second awesome unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing. Just so you know, the share ID for today's meeting, February 15th, 7 a.m. Eastern Time, is 12,550. That's 12550. We will now close with a reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. So, Barbara E., could you take us out, please? Good morning again. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.